Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 31 of Coffee with Kush. Today we're doing a startup marketing clinic. Wahaj uh, is going to be co-hosting with me. Uh, hello, Radwan. Hello, HD. Um, for anyone who doesn't know anything about Kush Digital, we're a pure play digital marketing agency. This is actually a podcast, uh, but we do it live on Twitter spaces and LinkedIn spaces. And then a couple of hours after the event, it's available as a podcast um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, uh, hi, Wahaj, why don't you get us started? Hi, Aziz, thank you for the intro. And this is Vaj from Push Digital, and we're happy today to be doing the Startup Marketing Clinic. Um, um, Aziz, I don't know if uh, you've uh, uh, had this introduction about yourself before, but I want to tell people that you are the founder of Push. Um, so you know a lot about startups and how to you know, uh, go into that venture. Um, you are a former UK PLC CEO. CEO. Uh, you have a legacy of delivering rapid top and bottom line growth in multiple industries from telecoms to SaaS startups. But something that's the most special thing, I think, is that you are passionate about empowering youth entrepreneurship. And that's why um, you're doing this and we want to share as much as possible with everyone who has a startup and wants to, you know, to launch and to soar. Um, I have a few. Uh, I know that uh, many people would be uh, joining uh, in a few, and if you have any questions, um, we are going to answer those questions to you. But I'm going to start with a few uh, directed to Aziz. Aziz, what is? I want to know what is the difference between a startup and a business idea because I've spoken uh, to some of the um, groups uh, just prior to this um, podcast, and um, it seems that. Some people mix up uh, having a growing idea with having an actual startup. So can we clarify what is a startup first and then we go from there? Uh, yeah, and thanks for that introduction. We did not rehearse that, I promise. If anyone wants to uh, jump in and ask questions, you can uh, raise your hand at any time. We'll bring you up as a speaker and uh, we'll get to you as soon as possible. Um, so what is the difference between a great idea and a startup? I'm led back to when I uh, lived in Paris. And I was walking around a modern art museum called Centre Pompidou. And there's a Picasso painting on there. And it's basically a painting of a child's face. And it's really crude, crudely done. And um, the, behind me were, uh, was an art teacher and his art students. And they were looking at this painting. And one of the students said, that's ridiculous. I could have done that painting. And then the teacher turned to him and said, yeah but you didn't. That's the difference between an idea and a startup. You've got to actually bring it to life, bring it to action. And I think that that's where um, most people really fail. They don't, uh, they, they believe the idea is enough and, and the idea is never enough. It's never complete. You start, you fail, you keep going, you keep failing. And it's a process of trial and improvement rather than just uh, execution. So I think that's probably the biggest difference. Um, so welcome to everyone who's joining. We're doing a startup marketing clinic. If you have any questions for your startup, uh, just raise your hands. We'll bring you up uh, as a speaker and um, you can ask your questions. Does that answer your question, Wahaj? Yes, it does to an extent. Um, uh, because the, the, the missing thing that I feel that is, when do you know that you have actually started and you've went on that venture of wanting to um, launch your business? Um and you talked about failing and success. Um, so let's say that I have a, a wonderful idea, or that I, at least I think that it's a great idea, and I want to validate that, and I want to, you know, start 
um, you know, building that product or that business or whatever, uh, where do I start? And then I'm going to, we're going to go deeper into someone who already started and knows more about their business, but I just want to get those first two things uh, out. And then we, we go deeper into the actual startups that happen, you know, working for a little while. So the first step is running a proof of concept. So let's take uh, an example of um, a company that we're working with right now called Pidge. So Pidge have got this great idea and it's just an idea right now, which is lots of times you want to be able to go to an event, let's say Jitex or Web Summit or whatever, and either you don't have the money, you live too far away, it's too difficult to get a visa, whatever the reason is, but you really want to go to that. So the idea of Page is that you can essentially hire people to go to that event for you and complete specific actions, whether it's generate leads or uh, get investor contact details, whatever the actions are. So that is a great idea. As ideas go, that's right up there. But there's no point in launching into that with trying to get a million dollars worth of funding to get that going unless you can prove the concept. And that's where a POC, a proof of concept, comes in. So how did we prove the concept? Well, we hired people on Upworks. We hired people on Upworks to go to small events, big events, and specifically to complete specific actions, lead generation actions, or in, in one case, it was about getting investor contact details. In another case, it was about getting the contact details of a very specific person who was a speaker at that event. The proof of concept taught us that, firstly, yes, it's absolutely um, a viable business but also taught us a lot about how to vet pitches, the people who go to these events. From that point, you can go to an alpha. So now we've got the website being built and we'll start signing up um, pitches and companies who want to who want to use pitched. And then from that point, we're moving, What we're, we're always trying to get to certain milestones, right? So the, the first big milestone is going from pre-revenue to post-revenue. So before you've made any money to after you've made your first dollar. The second big milestone, and there's normally quite a big gap between these two, is pre-profit, post-profit. So you're trying to get to the point of profitability as quickly as possible. Excellent. You, how you explained it sounds like very just clear steps, but each one of those is just a whole lot of you know work um, at the proof of concept part, especially. Um, and so uh, let's assume that we are... Um, uh, at that point where that works and uh, where, when do we decide that I should start seeking investments and um, but talking about marketing, how do I start um, finding channels where I can find the right investors um, and does every startup actually need an investor? Do I, do I need like to, to start looking for people to support the business or, um, you know, uh, not every startup necessarily needs that at least not at the few early stages. So when you start to go for investment is very specific to the type of company that you are. It depends on your entry barriers, essentially. How easy is it for you to be copied? Is it a land grab where you need to take a maximum amount of market share as quickly as possible? Uh, how much funding do you need? How technically difficult it is? So these are lots of variables that go into when do you um, go out for investment. But one of the most important things for all investors is that they see that you have, we call it, put skin in the game, that you've got skin in the game. That means that you have put in your own investment. Time isn't enough. So your own time, yes, but your own money. And then friends and family. They're the things that really help investors make that decision. Because there's a 
there's a bias that exists when you've got family involved and you've gone to family and they've invested there's a bias that exists that you really don't want to fail you can fail in front of friends you can fail in front of investors you really don't want to fail in, in front of um in front of family so one of the things that all investors look out for is how much skin have you put in the game and how much skin does uh the people who are close to you um have in the game the other thing that investors are looking for is what does your team look like have you got the right advisory? Have you got the right background to be able to execute this? But most critically, they're looking at how did your proof of concept go? What does your market research look like? Is this, in their eyes, a viable proposition? Uh, and, and getting investment is incredibly difficult, frankly. It's not an easy thing, and it's, it's filled with rejection. Anyone who's got a sensitive disposition shouldn't even bother. If you have a sensitive disposition, just try and fund it yourself. But anyone who genuinely wants to build out investment um opportunities they have to they have to be willing to accept rejection and a lot of the time in fact most of the time the rejection isn't because of you it's because angel investors or vcs or whoever it is they have a portfolio of investments and they need to balance that portfolio um against risks different risks and so almost always it's not to do with you it's to do with whether that investment is viable in that specific portfolio or not Thank you. That was very insightful. I want to uh, invite um, everyone who's listening to go ahead. And if you want to ask a question, you can request. Uh, welcome, Hilal, uh, Ali, Mayada, Ammar, Kushura, Azad, and um, someone named HD. Uh, I cannot see your full name. Um, but if any of you has a question about startups, um, any information that you want to learn, what especially about marketing, um, just request it any minute and we'll have you up to ask your questions. Um, meanwhile, we will continue the conversation, but at any point during the podcast, you don't need to, uh, for us to, you don't need to wait until the ending to ask your questions. Um, so I just move on with, with, um, with the conversation of, uh, when it comes to investment, I just, because we do a lot of, uh, work online and it's a lot of digital marketing, uh, uh activities. Um, are there any platforms that are online where you can find investors and and um, like how can you um, navigate that? And I'm talking strictly di digitally, uh, digital wise, only digital activities. Yeah, so there are lots of online investment um, uh, platforms, online platforms where you can find investors. It really, again, it depends on the type of business that you are um, and whether you are what kind of investment that you for. If you're looking for seed investment, so that initial investment after friends and family, the best option is always angel investors. There's angel list is probably the most uh, well-known one, and people can go to Asian list, angel list and, and reach out to those contacts. But again, people who are angel investors are, are regularly bombarded with, um, with requests for funding. And so often I've found in, in different businesses that I've worked in at, at various stages, the best approach is to build relationships but specifically build relationships with people in your niche or in and around your niche. So in the pitch space, for example, you know, we have relationships with people at Fiverr and Upworks. And it's really about uh, if investors have invested in those types of companies, then uh, they're more likely to invest in your type of company. So there are online platforms, but often the best approach is to build out your brand and then build out your own your own network. Um, so I think Red One's uh, jumped up, a uh, long-time friend, we miss very much. So, Rodwan, hi, how are you? Um, Aziz and uh, Wahaj, I miss both of you very much. I 
still looking forward to seeing all of you in a good time again in Sudan soon rather than later. So, um, in the, to pitch a, a product or a, or an idea for investment, it is obviously the target of, of your, of your uh, podcast. Um, however, how to do it? That's one question. The second question is where do we find these angel investors and how can we obviously pitch to them? And that's my third question. And the main question is nowadays there are so many Sudanese outside of their comfort zone. In fact, they're now everywhere. If they do get an opportunity to pitch an idea or let's say seeking investment, what would you advise them to do, he or she? Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We, we miss you too. Um, so my advice to anyone who's starting up their own business is to try as hard as possible to invest yourself, right? You've got to back yourself, bet on yourself. So if you have savings, use savings. Uh, if you can make money on the side, make money on the side. Whatever it takes for you to be able to make your vision some form of reality. Then the second step after that is to get investment from friends and family. Keep it close. People who you trust, people who you can speak openly to, and they can speak openly to you too. They can tell you um, what they like and dislike. And that they have to be, when you're starting your business, they have to be the, the first two things. One of the things that I think people spend too much time focusing on though it's exactly that investment and actually what what i always espouse is focus 99 percent of your energy at the start on your business right so get your business moving innovate around how to prove that you can make money that you can um, generate revenue that you can get to post revenue that you can get to profitability really work on making the business viable through your different marketing channels explore all of the most appropriate marketing channels. And I think that's where um, uh, most people are failing. I think that's probably the, the main point of today's um, podcast is really to explore some of those challenges that, that startups face when they're trying to just get their first customer, right? So there's the there's lots of firsts when you're building out a new brand. There's, there's the first like on your page. There's a first follower on LinkedIn. There's the first of lots of things. And I think that getting to those firsts and seeing the impact of those firsts on your uh, revenue, um, all the way to you get to your first customer, your first paying customer, and on and on and on, that they're the critical things. And when you build out those marketing channels effectively, and it's not just like a spray and pray approach, you take specific direct action against specific channels to achieve specific goals. When you get that working, very often it's very scalable very quickly. The best investments that investors look for are simply funding growth investments and what i mean by funding growth investments is that you've got a business it's working you just need whatever it is fifty thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars and you're going to put the vast majority of that into customer acquisition you've already tested the acquisition channels you know what it costs per acquisition you know the revenue or the lifetime value of each customer and you put that money in to grow quickly and they're the sort of easiest things for, for people like me and other inv angel investors to invest in. It's really easy to invest in an existing growth store, an existing story that just requires growth, uh, much more than it is to invest in an idea or a concept. I hope that answered your question, uh, 
our dear Rodwan, and thank you so much. Um, uh, we also I, I wanted to tell you that we also miss you. Um, if it does, um, Najib, you can raise uh, other um, uh, questions as well from Hilal, and we have some uh, two other speakers as well. Thank you, Aziz. I answered that uh, perfectly. Thank you. I guess I may have a second question if you would allow me, Wahaj. Uh, Aziz, through your uh, company, now that you moved it from Sudan to Egypt, are there any uh, opportunities and, and how can people reach out to you or, or to your to your company? So, and, and uh, every day we wake up and say, Alhamdulillah, because we're in a really fortunate position to um, to firstly have have survived, firstly as people to have survived, and then our families, I say, and they're you know the two most important things. And then after that, and um, that our business has survived as well, and our business has survived, and and now we're we're like like you correctly say, you know, we're, we're based in Aswan in Egypt, and Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, we aren't just surviving; we're growing, and we're growing probably faster than the, than we were in in um, Sudan. And so, yeah, there are there are regular opportunities available. We just closed a new role. Um, and so if you follow us on Facebook or uh, Instagram, Twitter, but most importantly, LinkedIn, uh, Kush Digital, uh, C-U-S-H, C-U-S-H Digital, uh, and then you'll be able to see um, uh, jobs as we post them. And, and we're regularly hiring graphic designers, video editors, uh, and then trainee social media managers or digital um, so, uh, if anyone, I think Halal wanted to ask a question, if you raise your hand, Halal, or I can, um, if you, if you, uh, request to be a speaker, Halal, then I can, uh, I, or I can invite you to speak. There you go. And then, uh, I can answer your question. And if anyone else has any questions, please feel free to, uh, request the mic and jump up. But in the meantime, I'll hand back to Wahaj to ask one of her list. Okay. Thank you, Aziz. Um, so talking about hiring um, and, uh, you know, getting the right people into your team, um, I see a lot of startups speak uh, enthusiastically about uh, the right culture, the right work environment. And I just want to shed some light on that. Um, what is a good, what are like the, the features of a good working environment, especially for a small team in a startup? Um, as a person who is hiring, how do you, how do you get that to happen? Um, how do you get the right people and how do you become the right leader for that kind of team that is in a in a very sensitive stage of growth of growth actually i'm gonna i'm gonna throw that question back at you Arj, um because i'm gonna ask i'm gonna answer the second part but i'd like you to go ahead and answer the first part <laughs> i don't know why i asked that I somehow felt that you would you would you would throw it back at me um so I've been I've been working uh, at Sudan Digital formerly and now Kush Digital, um, and I would have to say that one word describes the perfect work environment for me and maybe maybe some of my colleagues, which is um, a safe environment. And uh, safe means it's safe to make mistakes, it's safe to uh, experiment, and it's safe to have your own ideas and to share those ideas, um, you know, openly without that fear of you know being called that this is a dumb idea or we're not going to try this or anything like that. Um, and it, those three things for me kind of open a space for uh, endless growth. And so I value that very much. 
Um, and so that is kind of an environment for me from a, a, a standpoint of someone who is part of an environment like that and who is uh, an employee. Um, in a, if I throw it at from a, a leader uh, point of view, you would want your uh, employees to be doing everything that they can, everything that it's in their potential to do. Um, and not knowing that you are not the person who's holding them back, you're not the person who is um, not allowing them to um, grow and to, to help grow your own business. Uh, and, and so some of them might feel that they are part of the business. This is their own business and, uh, you know, help you grow it. Um, yeah, this is just a, just a little view of, of how I see it um, as if and yeah, you can continue with the, with the question. I, you know, whilst Bobon is still with us, remember Bobon has spent a lot of time with various business uh, and he, you know, people don't know that Bob. Uh, very knowledgeable in um, various uh, various industries, uh, and then just a really insightful guy. So, why don't I ask that of Rodwan? So, Rodwan, what in a startup environment, what would you what would you say is the important elements of company culture or, or environment? I will take uh, Dreamer, and please, uh, Dreamer, forgive me. I am taking you as an example. And the reason I'm taking Darima as an example is he is talented. He knows exactly who he is. He knows what type of skills he has. And I think then it becomes much easier to market the skills because he does not have to reinvent the wheel. He obviously would speak to someone like you who is an expert in marketing strategies in certain areas where you can link him with others who happen to be in the same uh, domain, let's say. So taking Derema as, as an example, he is going to be focused on a certain entertainment um, sector of the, of the industry. And then after that, he obviously would link up to you for two things, as I said, connections and the ability to proselytize or publicize or I guess advertise or market his, uh, his ideas so that he gets more business. Right now, I see the biggest concern to me that anyone who wants to get into any type of uh, business uh, uh, adventure, they oftentimes take it as a hobby. So once again, I'm taking Derema as, as, a, as an example. You can either take your business full-time and thrive in getting it recognized and getting the, that first dollar, as we like to call it. Otherwise, it would remain to be a hobby. I'm not sure if I answer your question a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I do want to come to Dreamer because I've heard a lot about Dreamer and never actually spoken to him, so this is a great opportunity. But just to expand a little bit on uh, Rodwan's point there. So I think you're right. Like When I was earlier in my career, I remember very vividly, I was 27 and uh, I'd been married for a year, and me and my wife um, had a decision to make, and the decision was really clear. Do I move to this other really big, amazing company where I was going to get paid lots of money, or do I choose to start my own business? And we made a really deliberate decision, and it was weak, because you know when you're starting a business, it very much is like a family affair, because everyone's involved, right? And the deliberate decision was to 
um, chase my other dream. And my other dream was to be the CEO of a publicly listed company. And I was going to chase that dream. And then by the time I was 40, then we would start our business, but we would do it in Sudan. Well, alhamdulillah, that happened much earlier. I ended up being a PLC CEO when I was like 33. And at 36, I moved to, to Sudan and, and started, um, well, at that time it was Sudan Digital and now Kush Digital. And, and, uh, and really those years in between 27 and 36, they were the foundation of my business. They were the place where I collected all of my contacts, um, all of the leads that became our first clients. Uh, they were really, they were really the formative years for, for our business and without having taken that decision, I, I really would have struggled, but yeah, I agree totally. It's very difficult to half ass it, right? It's very, very difficult to half do um, a startup, but sometimes people are in a position where they absolutely have to, it has to be their side gig until it can be their full gig. Um, so I would love uh, dreamer uh, that's uh, jumped up onto the stage dreamer. Uh, please introduce yourself. Great to meet you um, virtually and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going? Um, nice to meet you all. Salaamu Alaikum. And, you know, for, for, for a change, this is a space in English, in the English language. And I can see faces here, familiar faces. Greetings to you all. Um, I've mentioned in a lot of different spaces before that one of the things that I really appreciate about the opportunities here on Twitter is that they give me the opportunity to um, speak in Arabic and practice my Arabic, speaking about politics and, you know, all these international issues. And quite frankly, I'm thankful for that because my Arabic has improved a lot in the last, say, three to four months. And that said, you know, I have noted that I have some limitations and a little bit of difficulty talking about professional matters, work matters, expertise, entrepreneurship, in Arabic. Um, inshallah, I look forward to being better in Arabic so I can talk about these things more fluently. But this is a good opportunity to just be able to get into things more fully, more comprehensively you know, in the language that I'm more comfortable with, at least for the time being, you know, until I learn Arabic. So that said and that aside, um, my, my artistic name is Dreama. I'm working on my first album. The reason on social media I'm Dreama here and different websites is because I'm reserving the social media handle. I'm not active as Dreama yet, but I have a long history of writing online as Amir Ahmed Lok. And then it became Amir Ahmed Nasser. And then <laughs> if I'm in the UK, it's Amir Ahmed Nasser. And I've done that as a writer, as a journalist. And eventually my writing and my journalism helped me understand that if you're going to advocate your ideas, you need to be really good at marketing. So I made a conscious, deliberate decision to learn digital marketing and digital advocacy and work with technology startups and education startups that build platforms on the internet and promote different kinds of offers on personal development, leadership development. Eventually, that led me to working in the private sector with companies and CEOs and founders and their teams on their culture, team building, based on their values. Everything that I do at the end of the day comes back to human values because this is also in part due to my own condition, the condition of my own experience growing up in different countries, being Sudanese, Afro-Arab, uh, Khartoum born, lived in Qatar in Doha for a little while as a kid, 
you know, so Khadiji culture, um, international schools in Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur, British educated, GCEO levels, then the United States living in England for a while as a, a writer traveling to different places now based in Canada. And, and when you live like that, you know, who are you? Who are you as a person? Who are you in your identity? And you have to really reflect on it and have a personal philosophy, you know, at times, because you can't look for the answers outside of yourself. And so I appreciate what you said earlier, Rodwan, about knowing oneself, self-awareness, because you may pursue a business idea and you think it's the goal, but actually it could not be an end goal and perhaps it's a means goal. And a lot of the time I find when people are starting out or exploring, they confuse what in, you know, personal development, leadership development, the distinction between end goals versus means goals. So a means goal is I want to achieve X, Y, Z. Okay. Why? Because you want X, Y, Z or because you think X, Y, Z is going to get you to something else. Oh, because it's going to get me to this other thing that I actually want. Okay, well, then what's the other thing that you actually want? Well, I want more freedom. Um, I want to be able to control my schedule. I want to be able to take my family on holidays. I want to have the ability to read book, you know, for six hours a day and not worry about bills. So then you get to the end outcome of what's really important to the person. Now, the next question is, is this important to the person because of practical reasons that are going to serve short-term needs? Um, and if that's the case, that's okay. So then if that's the case, or if not, what is going to serve long-term needs? And so you begin to study yourselves and you develop self-awareness based on your patterns. What have you been doing historically in your life that has remained quite consistent? Because I guarantee you, building a business on its own is already challenging. And then building a business and having a life that you actually enjoy and a good quality of life that you want to be engaged in, I mean, that makes things even more challenging. So I really emphasize this point about knowing who you are, because the big problem that I see, even in my coaching and training work, you know, with CEOs and founders, and I've dealt with company founders, you know, at seven figure levels, eight figures, and, you know, in a few cases, even a hundred million or, you know, billion dollar, let's, you know, companies. And I don't talk much about this online or in spaces, you know, I keep usually these things private. But I am getting to the point where, you know what, I, I need to talk about it publicly. Um, the Sudanese in Arabic, you know, I had this whole issue with this rukta, um, this, this sort of insecurity around this thing called uh, keep it to yourself. But I think that culture needs to change. I think we need to be better at knowledge sharing, expertise sharing um, in the public sector and the private sector you know, nonprofits and also for advocacy for economic development, entrepreneurial development. And it's it's a big subject, obviously, to explore. But what I'm trying to get at is the following. Do not engage only in learning about business strategy without also engaging in personal development. Because what is great what is a great marketing strategy for one person could be a terrible strategy for another person. Uh, what is a good business model for one entrepreneur that creates freedom, lots of freedom for that specific entrepreneur, the same exact business model could be a prison that takes away the freedom of another person. And so this all comes back to self-awareness. Your business idea, your marketing strategy has to play to your strengths as a person. They have This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. To play to your strengths as a leader.
which means the strategy will work for you. And it also needs to tap into your values and your consistent patterns historically, because that means you will have more ease in your being. Too much of what we discuss is about doing, 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 doing. I need to do this. I need to do that. Okay. How are you in your being? Do you feel good as you're doing what you're doing? Do you feel aligned? Do you feel energized? Do you feel obsessive? Do you feel fulfilled? If you're not okay in your being, first and foremost, the doing is kind of useless in the long run. And that's why you get issues like burnout, loss of interest, um, lack of persistence, uh, all very important things that you need to avoid in your entrepreneurial journey to have long-term success, or as I prefer it, long-term thriving. Because even the word success can be confusing. You know, somebody could be successful and they seem successful, but they're not fulfilled. Whereas when you look at it as thriving, thriving is different. Thriving has a lot of psychological literature. There's a lot of research from a perspective of therapy, sociology, family development. Thriving is a much, much clearer word with scientific grounding and definitions. And we don't get into confusion regarding what is success or what isn't success, because even that is very relative. So the end outcome for me is not business success you know, and a burnt out life or a good life socially, but financially there's a struggle. For me, the goal always is thriving. And that could be really the basis of future discussions, which I'm happy to participate in. Thank you. No, Dreamer, thank you so much. Uh, and look, I'm in exactly the same position as you. I love going into the uh, Arabic Sudanese groups in particular, but I never talk because uh, despite six years in Sudan, my Arabic still sucks although Rodwan has been helping me very much on that point look you brought up so many important points i want to um go to Koshola in a, in a moment first let me just quickly reset the room i'm aziz founder of uh, coach digital and we're talking about marketing uh, at startups uh, and all of the elements of, of, of startups i want to plug really quickly one of our white papers which um we released recently which is the 10 uh, 10 principle 10 islamic marketing principles for anyone who's either working in uh, a non-Islamic market, a non-Muslim majority market, wishing to enter into a Muslim majority market, or um, really we wrote it as well for for market Muslim marketers who um, sometimes struggle with the boundaries of what, you know, what is right Islamically and what isn't. The white paper is free. You can go to our website, uh, digital. top right-hand side of the white papers. You can just click there and download it. And we've got a bunch of other white papers there and a bunch of other white papers um, coming out too. So just to pick on a, a few of Dreamer's points, then we're going to go to Kushal and So firstly, um, the importance of values, right? So aligning your values, knowing what you want um, and what success looks like for you. And I think that actually, of all of the things that I've learned in my career, that's probably the most important thing, the, the why of it all. You know, uh, if the why of it all is to be rich, well, look, there's probably easier ways than starting a business. To being rich if you're if your why is being rich then what exactly i have yet to meet someone who we could define as uh, wealthy who defines themselves as wealthy uh, now i'm not saying you know it's easy for people with money to say that you know money money doesn't make you happy and 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 it does it doesn't necessarily make you happy it just kind of gives you different problems i think a rapper said something similar to that one time um but the, the why of it is, is just so critical, right? So with, with Sudan Digital, for example, when I started Sudan Digital, 
My why was never clients. It was always about the proliferation of digital across Sudan because I knew um, through all of the countries that I'd worked in that the growth in um, GPP per capita directly aligns with digital adoption. And the reason that happens is that digital adoption allows small independent traders to compete against big market players um, with extremely low cost bases. And by doing that, you increase competition, you increase value to customers. And so what you eventually do is you increase GDP and you increase GDP per capita. What that really means is that digital adoption equals better lives for people. And so the mission statement of Sudan Digital was always the proliferation of digital across Sudan. And by doing that, you know, I'd make my small indentation in the lives, uh, making people's lives in Sudan better. And that still remains, you know, in the long term, the objective, but maybe we just have to take a slightly different approach. So, you know, what Dreamer said is so critical, knowing what success looks like to you and like staying, I don't want to stay, st say staying in your lane, but I kind of, kind of mean like knowing what energizes you is so critical because if you're going to run a startup know it's going to take over your life right so you better love what you're doing otherwise uh you don't love what you're doing and you're going to find that you're going to get found out really quick so you really need to love what you're doing and be passionate about it and have like that under underlying reason and again i come back to it so many um so many startups that i talk to the primary objective is to you know get to a thousand customers then i'll get a million dollars and it's like okay cool so you want a million dollars that's what you want right it's like well you see what i mean so there's no real value there um so thank you so much dreamer um koshola uh please jump in and thanks mr Aziz, and thanks for all the presence here it's wonderful presence you know at least uh, it's the uh, kind of difference uh, most of the spaces in twitter you know in politics at least this is kind of you know thanks mr advance for for inviting for all of speakers, Mr. Aziz, I, I don't have a question. I just uh, wanted you to uh, highlight more about you know you are speaking about uh, for you know for example for such a startup uh, businesses you know yeah we are in Sudan as you know the situation and you know there is a lack of uh, employment uh, but I, by somehow there is procurement but at the same time we, we are the Sudanese as the generation uh, you know we are afraiding and we have a lot of uh, scaredness about taking you know initiatives to start uh, our, our own businesses and you know uh Drema, he mentioned that we are have like up there you know and this is uh sometimes now the market is open sources and there is a lot of ideas about business and you know uh encourageable business but we are as you sometimes even there is a bit kind of businesses it doesn't have to uh, to own maybe 100,000 usd or maybe 50,000 usd uh, but at least you need to believe in yourself and you know you need to take a decision you need to take action you need to take the initiative to start your own business uh, most of the people are the Sudanese sometimes even they have money but they need like kind of testimonials they need to see maybe uh, they don't want to take a risk unless otherwise uh, they are a lot of Sudanese now they are staying they have money and but in the same time most of the business I believe that there is opportunities for the people they can start business without even having money they need to take action thank you uh, so, so if you allow me, if you allow me to interject, I, I just wanted to applaud the uh, applaud Kershola's uh, efforts. Uh, Kershola is someone that who comes every Wednesday, I think, uh, every Tuesday on a program, and he speaks uh, about Sudan and the ongoing, but not only from a problem, um, I guess, spreading the issues and 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 letting people know about it. It's from 
a solution finding uh, point of view. So I just wanted to applaud uh, his efforts. So this is something, uh, you know, it's the beginning of this podcast. We were talking about getting an idea uh, off the ground. And my question is, um, usually an idea comes in when there's a market opportunity that you see, there's a void, there's a gap in the market that doesn't really matter what, you know, industry or whether it's healthcare or gas tech. So what happens when you do have an idea, you do have an opportunity uh, to penetrate the market, but you don't have the technical expertise um, and, and you know, to get it off that idea through into a white paper and then, you know, into an actual product or service, uh, what usually are the steps, um, whether you have the funding or you don't have the funding in order to be able to do that? Okay. Thank you, um, HD. So, um, I'm going to come to that. I just want to, uh, cover off, uh, Kishoda's, um, points first, and then I'm going to come back to, to that question specifically. So, so to Kishoda's point, firstly, I think everyone all around the world is scared when they're starting a new business. It's not easy. It's a difficult thing. And most people are just used to, um, to collecting their monthly salary, right? So it's a difficult thing. And, I, but the second thing, which I think is really important, like when I moved to Sudan, I used to say half jokingly, half not jokingly, if you threw a hundred dollars into the street in Sudan, 200 would come back. Like it was the easiest market I'd ever been in to generate, um, startups to generate businesses. Uh, and it doesn't actually take a lot of innovation. So I really applaud the effort that, that you're doing. And maybe one day we'll do a specific um, podcast on uh, startups in Sudan and startup opportunities, and maybe you can help us can help us with that. So let's come back to um, uh, HD. So um, HD, thank you um, for your question. So if I understood rightly, the question is essentially, you know, you've got potentially the funding, but you don't necessarily have the market expertise um, or the technical expertise to um to 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 execute that idea so this is exactly the time that you want to partner and this is this is a really good question to segue into like one of the key areas of, of, of marketing for startups one of the key channels for marketing for startups is just who you partner with right select selecting the right partners who have got the right leads and contacts and in in the case that you're describing who have also got the um, right technical expertise in whatever field that that technical expertise is. However, typically you wouldn't you wouldn't prefer to start a new business in an area that you aren't intimately aware of. And the reason I say that this is very much down to personal preference, right? So I don't want to give a, a blanket statement, but I always say, you know, um, keep gardeners in the garden and keep doctors in the hospitals, right? So. Whenever someone comes to me with a business that is uh, a business or a startup that they want me to invest in, and be it money or time, in a, an area that just doesn't suit my expertise, I always decline. Um, even if I think it's a really good idea, I decline because I, I know what my skill sets are. I know what I bring to the table. And, and oftentimes, um, you can get sort of caught up in the desire to, to drive forward with, with a new business without necessarily having the right levels of expertise. So selecting your partners, I think is, I think is really critical. Um, selecting your partners is critical, particularly at the, you know, when you're, when you're building out your proof of concept or you're building out your, your business plan and you'll know who those partners are, but ideally it'll be in a space that you're intimately aware of already, but if not, or if there are, or if it's a very complex space, let's say that you're talking about AI and you maybe have 
um, great business knowledge around the, the the solution, but you don't necessarily have the technical knowledge about how um, large language models work or anything like that. So in that case, yeah, you'd have a technical person as your partner and typically for some shared equity. Um, so if anyone else has any questions, please uh, feel free to jump up and, and ask questions. We're talking about um, startup marketing and uh, we are uh, listening to different ideas around startup marketing and how to how to uh, market your startup in in basically in any industry. I'm Aziz, I'm the founder of Kush Digital, and I've got with me Wahad. Say hello, Wahad. Hi, everyone. Hi, Aziz. And um, uh, I'm enjoying this conversation very much, Aziz, because it seems like we have uh, unique inputs from uh, different point of views. Um, so would you like us to continue with a few more questions, dive deeper, or let's wait for some questions? Well, why don't you check out a question, and then we'll see if anyone else has anything. Yes, definitely. I do have a very burning question. Um, um, it, it goes on along the lines of the the you know uh, natural evolution of your startup, um, and I want I want to know uh, how do we um, how do you reach your market at the initial stages after your product has launched, and you are just starting out and you have proof of concept and you want to reach uh, uh, your bigger market to start actually uh, selling your product or your service or or wait maybe um and i want you also to focus more on the digital aspect of it um and because you have a lot of experience in, at Kush Digital, had a lot of experience with um companies that are newly launching and to help them kind of reach t their targets and reach the market at the early stages which is very very important so um tell me more about that I think that that's like the critical element here in terms of marketing for startups is knowing your channels. Right? And this is a mistake that I see so many startups making is that they try to apply the models of their previous companies into their model of their startup. Uh, and a recent example is someone who was an architect at Microsoft, but trying to apply the Microsoft uh, channel marketing approach to to their startup business, which just, just isn't appropriate. It's kind of like what Dreamer said, you've got to have the, the right channels for that business and you've got to select them appropriately now the actual process of doing that isn't actually that complex in the end everything that has ever been bought or sold in the history of humanity the decision as to why that person bought that product has gone through the same process every single time they're aware of the product they consider whether they want or need that product they evaluate that product versus other products or services that deliver the same results they make a decision to buy it they buy it they have an experience after buying it and if they go through that loop flawlessly then they become a loyal customer and they bring in new customers for you and that what i've described is the mckinsey buying cycle and it's essentially true for any business any service so if you want to work with for example kush digital um as a digital marketing agency you'll sit down and you'll say i have a startup I need digital marketing expertise because that's not my expertise. So that's the um, the consideration phase. You're aware that Kush Digital exists, but you're also aware that there are lots of other digital marketing agencies. You will send out RFPs to all of those agencies, and then you'll evaluate those RFPs. You'll decide which one to go with, and then you'll start working. Eh? You'll purchase. And then once you've started that, that process you'll have an experience has that been a good experience bad experience or whatever and then you go through that loop and eventually become a loyal customer so the channels that you use are really dependent on the the stage in the buying cycle that you're trying to address so if you are 
you've got brand new products into an existing market. All right. So if you're a new product, but the market already exists, your initial awareness marketing is fundamentally different. You don't need to educate the audience. Essentially, what you need to do is convince the audience that your product is better than the incumbents without breaking some of the basic laws of marketing. However, if you are a new product in a brand new market, then your challenge is fundamentally different. You need to, ed and it takes longer. You need to educate the audience. You need to educate the audience on exactly what it is that your product or service does. And then, so the, the process that we go through as a business, I mean, you're acutely aware of this because you do this every day. The process that we go through as a business is really about understanding what are the most appropriate channels for that business and where are they in that buying cycle? And if you get that formula right, and if you choose the right channels for each of those stages, essentially what you do is you build a funnel of customers that just keep coming through. But, uh, you know, it's easy to say in words. It's actually really complex to do in reality, but it is a process of trial and improvement, not trial and error, trial and improvement uh, and being data-driven. Um, hope that answers your question. We've got Halal. Hello, uh, Hilal, uh, welcome to the group. Um, what would you like to say? Hilal, are you with us? If not, we'll jump back to Wahaj. Did that answer your question, Wahaj? Yes, it did very much. Um, you've, you've delved into a very specific details. And the McKinsey buying cycle is something that I think uh, with the enthusiasm of a new project, people forget uh, to, to kind of position themselves correctly. Um, okay, so do you have, do we have Hilal ready or? Yeah, I don't think Hilal is hearing. Okay, I have another question. Um, uh, moving on to um, uh, reaching your target market, um, how do you measure uh, your success as a startup. So what are my KPIs? How do I know that I've made it? Um, and is there a point where I kind of throw in the towel and say, you know, this is not working. I just need to quit and find something else or um, go on a different, this product or this service itself is wrong and I should just do something else. The greatest measure of the success of a startup entrepreneur is resilience. Every single startup entrepreneur is going to face challenges. Those that are successful have unusually high tolerances for failure and their resilience is the thing that sets them apart. And so that, you know, the question of should I give up or not give up, that's an entirely subjective thing. Some people have really high, I, I happen to have a particularly high tolerance for risk. And so um, there's lots of failure involved in that. But when you go through that process, you build up that resilience that's how you end up that that's how you can you can kind of spot the the good startups now changing direction that happens all the time right so you may pivot on your marketing channel you may pivot slightly on your product or on your service but you do that based on the knowledge you don't do it randomly you do it based on market knowledge and on experience and i think that's something that happens a lot people pivot based on an instinct rather than based on uh, the things that they've learned and the things that they've learned typically should be numerically based. So this comes to your first question, measuring um, success or, or otherwise. Look, at a startup level, if you're in a 
if you're a new product but in an existing market, what you're really looking for is engagement. Are people, are the customers of your competitors engaging with you in any way, shape, or form, right? So just any form of engagement means that you're creating some resonance. How resonance. However, if you're a brand new product in a brand new market, you have to be really patient with that. You have to really educate people. And a lot of that happens, has to be sort of face-to-face, -face, bringing people in, leveraging. I'm going to use the term influencer marketing, but I don't mean what, like, you know, what you think I mean. I don't mean influencer marketing like, you know, there's kids on TikTok. What I really mean is taking experts from an adjacent field and doing a podcast with them, for example. Um, and that sort of gives credence to to your business. So there's a there's a waiting game. It's very paid. You have to work hard and be patient. But yeah, resilience is the key. If you are resilient, ultimately, you'll find the right formula. I take a month, but it might take five years. One, uh, please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Aziz. Aziz, you, you, you mentioned social media, you mentioned obviously TikTok and anything else. So is this the new shining um, uh, object where people just hover towards it rather than having to find out exactly if that particular publicity stage helps your cause or not? Uh, I'm taking uh, Dereyma, uh, uh example once again. Where should he be advertising compared to, let's say, a new Joe who wants to start or Jane who wants to start uh, a specific business idea uh, and then obviously reach out to um, uh, audience. So the, the question is, does the platform matter? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So the audience of each platform changes and people think that that difference is much greater than it is like people associate tiktok with um younger people but that's not at all true actually i'm as addicted to tiktok as my 14 year old daughter so the the, the but the appropriateness of the audience absolutely should dictate the channels that you choose to market on all right so um at a very basic level, if you've got a B2B service, LinkedIn should be your primary market. But does that mean you shouldn't use Twitter or TikTok? No, absolutely not. Because ultimately, as marketers, what are we trying to achieve? What we're trying to achieve is we are trying to get to the eyeballs of our prospective customers. And frankly, we don't care where those eyeballs are. We don't care if they're on TikTok or on Twitter or on Instagram. All we care about is can we get to them? Now, the content that you produce for TikTok or Instagram is going to be fundamentally different to the content that you produce for LinkedIn, yeah? But that doesn't make one channel more superior than the other channel. It just means that you are going to have to sort of position your message differently. Now, Dreamer, of course, I'm sure Dreamer is all over TikTok and, um, you know, he's obviously all over over Twitter and I'm sure he is on Instagram too. And they're, they're going to be his primary channels for building out his personal brand right um and particularly if you're looking to build out a personal brand be it an artist or be it as a uh, a journalist or whatever it is then you know those consumer friendly channels are, are most valuable tiktok in particular at the moment it's still possible to get a large audience through pure content as opposed to Facebook and Instagram, where content alone typically won't cut it. You need to spend some advertising budget. 
Um, Kasholi had a question. Yeah, I, I just want to repeat the question of Dr. Radwan by and by a different way, you know. Uh, my concern is like, how do the environment affect in the, the niche that you are, you know, launching? Because once you're, uh, you know, launching the campaign, maybe you are using such a platform for make your advertisement. And, you know, sometimes you need to be aware about the culture of your audience. For example, if you are living in uh, in Europe, it's totally different than you are you living in Africa. So, how do how do the environment affecting in your your campaign? And sometimes people they may use different types of advertisement, not only Twitter and uh, you know uh, TikTok and this is other. There is other uh, platform also for advertisement. That's a great question as well. So I'm going to give you a real example to answer that question. So. Whilst we're in Sudan, one of our clients was El Berberi. So everyone who's from Sudan, they'll, they'll know who El Berberi group is. And they had a partnership with El Arabi. El Arabi, is, they create, uh, you know, washing machines, TVs, you know, electrical equipment. And they're based in Egypt. And it's huge in Egypt. Every corner has got an Al Arabi store. And they, in Egypt, they use Egyptian celebrities for their marketing, for their outdoor and for their TV. And um, when the team from El Arabi, when they hired us and we were working across multiple parts of their business and one of them was um, an Arabi and when the representatives from an Arabi came over from Egypt to Sudan they Aziz, were... Manish, yeah. uh, much love to all I've got to jump and excuse myself but to be continued absolutely dream absolutely yeah. Thank so when we were um, when we were talking to representatives of uh, Arabi, we were saying to them, Sudan is an incredibly ethnocentric country. Ethnocentric means we value Sudanese culture above all other cultures. It's really important to us. And in fact, um, in a lot of cases, we have negative connotations in Sudan uh, towards Egyptian products, okay? It's not any form of racism. It's to do with quality and perceptions of quality. And we were saying to them, if you really want to attack the Sudanese market, you need to use Sudanese celebrities. You need to use Sudanese tactics. You can't apply the same content they used in Egypt and expect the same results in Sudan. Um, unfortunately, however hard we made that argument, they still continued to um, use Egyptian um, uh, Egyptian uh, celebrities. And the result was that, you know, they'd run those campaigns at the same cost in Sudan as in Egypt, but get a quarter of the uh, revenue that they were getting in Sudan versus what they were getting from those campaigns in Egypt. So, um, Koshola, you're 100% right. You really have to target your content to the target audience. Yes, that can be cultural, right? So it could be in a country, um, but it could be much, much narrower than that, yeah? So it could be, for example, let's carry on with the Sudan example. It could be that you are targeting um, older women in Sudan. And how they speak, you know, Habobatna speaks fundamentally differently than our nieces and nephews. And so really getting down, speaking the language, not literally the, the, the linguistic terms, but the way that your target audience speaks is, is absolutely critical. That's a great question. Back to you, Waj. Thank you, Aziz. Uh... And thank you, Koshal, for your great question. Uh, I think we have like covered very uh, wide um, general aspects of uh, startup marketing and also in some some of the 
uh, important details thanks to your questions. Um, before we end up, I want you at least to just tell us one thing, which is, um, have you ever? What is the biggest challenge that you have faced while building uh, Kush Digital, and um, uh, like something that kind of was, you know, should I just stop or continue the, the thing that I was talking about earlier? But I want it from your own experience, and um, and tell us how you recovered from that, and what made you, you know, move forward. Um, we will answer that question, and then we will wrap up if no one else had any questions. I never thought of quitting. Just to answer that, like it, it never crossed my mind to stop Sudan Digital or Kush Digital. Now, I think what most people are expecting is for me to say that the biggest challenge was the war. Uh, it wasn't. Um, that was a challenge, and it was a big challenge for sure. And you know, evacuating you and the rest of the team out to Egypt that was challenging and dangerous, and at some points traumatizing. But it wasn't the biggest business challenge. The biggest business challenge that we faced was when uh, they cut the internet um, uh, during the Thoda. And, um, you know, I always said, we can survive without water. We can survive as a business without electricity. We cannot survive without internet. And actually, if that didn't happen, I don't think we would be alive today. So this is how I always perceive challenges. Every challenge that Allah puts in front of you is just preparing you for a different challenge. That's all it is. And so when the internet cut 2019 and, and beyond, and we had those periods of time where we didn't have internet, what we had decided is we need to make sure that we have a land-based location that we can go to that has internet. And so that's where the formation of like um, the company in Aswan in Egypt came from. That whole idea started with, well, would, we may at any point have the internet cut. Let's make sure we've got a place to go to. And, and if, if we didn't have that challenge at that time, where we nearly lost all of our customers, if we didn't have that challenge, we wouldn't have set up the office in Aswan. And if we hadn't set up the office in Aswan, when the war came, we would have had nowhere to go. And so I, I always say this to, to you guys and the people in the office and anyone that I meet, Allah only challenges you to make sure that you're ready for the next challenge. There's nothing, there's no point in taking it personally. It's about, are you going to learn and be more, are you going to be greater than that challenge, challenge that's in front of you? And I think one of the things that really helped me is that I have never had a doubt um, about this business. For me, it was always going to be the way it was going to be. And the reason is my why. You know, it was always about helping Sudan and, and trying to give back to Sudan. Uh, and for me, that that was worth anything and everything. It was worth anything in terms of uh, my own personal wealth, but it was worth everything in terms of all of the time that I would spend on it. Now it keeps it keeps becoming inspiring, even though I was uh, present for a lot of it. Um, but it's really um, heartwarming to hear um, how this evolved and how Digital is still alive. And it's a testament to the resilience that you spoke about um, and the importance of the why. Knowing that why you're doing this kind of makes you survive anything. Um, uh, I don't see that anyone has any other questions. Um, this has been Startup Marketing Clinic podcast, uh, Coffee with Kush. Um, all of our podcasts are available on our website, uh, including um, the blogs that are written after the, uh, you will see the published blogs. Uh, if you weren't able to hear the, the podcast, you will see um, transcript and you will be able to read it. Um, and also um, we have our free white papers that you can find all on the podcast. 
Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed this one. Thank you, everyone, for your inputs. At least if you have anything else to say, um, uh, that would be it. And that's a wrap for me. Thank you, Wahaj. Thank you, Rodwan, Koshola, um, uh, Dreamer, who's left us, everyone else who joined HD. Um, thank you so much uh, for your engagement. And we're going to do this again because I really enjoyed it. I get a feeling that you guys did too. So maybe we'll do this again next week or the week after. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today.